Can you get up the first slide there, Mike? I, uh, I'm not sure if I left it off on there. We got it? By the way, I was told last time I preached, they said, you know, Doug Easterday pulled me aside and he said, can I give you a piece of advice in public speaking? And Doug preaches all over the world. And so I'm like, sure, Doug, you know, anytime. And uh, but I'm expecting it's going to be this big deal. And he said, you always point to the back screen when you're referring to something on your slide. But people aren't looking at the back screen. They, in fact, I bet a lot of you in here didn't even know there was a back screen. Is there anybody who didn't realize? No? Okay. So you're, no one is, I am like the least observant person in the world, so I just sort of assume that people are like me. I'm like, oh, a screen. Anyway, if I do that, forgive me. It's total force of habit. I forget that that's like that. And that's even like, I can touch this now. How about that? Ugh. Okay. So, thank you. Yeah. That's right. Turn the story out. Yes, I do. Mad, mad hops, as the kids say. Um, <laughs> we're going to uh, uh, go into chapter 8 of the story, um, but th this is the, the, the book of, of uh, Judges is what we're going to be looking at today. And uh, I want to show you just a, a brief timeline here. Obviously, this doesn't uh, uh, cover, or this covers more than what we have uh, this week, we are, the, you know, we, we talked a lot about the Exodus and all that took place there with Moses, uh, Mount Sinai, and the Ten Commandments. Um, now we are in this era here, which we don't talk about very often. This was a very dark time. In fact, the book of Judges is probably the darkest book in the Old Testament, right up there with Ezekiel. It can be difficult to read. Uh, it can be disturbing at times, actually. It really can, um, especially the end. Uh, but the book of Judges um, is, is a, a period after the Israelites come into the promised land, but it's before they're actually a kingdom. It, at this time, they are uh, separate individual tribes, much like the United States was when they uh, were just the 13 colonies and they had nothing uniting them as a constitution, yet they weren't one nation. They were really 13 separate. Well, this is a similar situation. You've essentially got 12 separate tribes not working as one, and nothing really uniting them officially except the, you know, Abraham's all of their father. So occasionally they do stuff together. Um, but you'll see often that maybe one tribe called out to their brother uh, Asher or Dan uh, or Judah. And, and it's not talking about individuals. It's actually talking about the different tribes calling on help uh, from other tribes. So this is what we're dealing with here. Now, at the end of this era... This is when Samuel is, is their spiritual and political uh, leader, and they call out for a king, and then eventually Israel will have a united kingdom um, in, in 1050. But this, is, this era is going to start um, somewhere around 1400. Uh, these are very broad dates. Um, so this is where we are. Hopefully that gives you a little bit of a picture here. And uh, here we go. Um, we're going to pick up in the, the second chapter of Judges. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, and all that generation also, uh, all, all, excuse me, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know 
the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. That is a sad, sad verse. Remember all the stuff we've talked about these recent weeks, all that the Lord had done for them. This was a nation that was a slave nation. For hundreds of years, they had this great destiny, but they hadn't realized any of it. They are completely smothered by the, the mightiest nation that, that ever was up till that time. There's no hope whatsoever. God delivers them and cripples this nation so that they can escape. He provides for them every step of the way in the desert. When there's, no, there's no business surviving in the desert if you're an entire nation. There, there's not enough food or there's no water, but he provides food and water and sustains them in the midst of the wilderness. And then finally, he brings them in against all these other nations and gives them victories as they settle into the land. And that generation dies and nobody even knows I don't know why. Were they short-sighted? Did they think that finally they had arrived? And, or, or finally they just took it for granted that their kids would know and they didn't, they didn't pass on the revelation of the goodness of God. But here they are. This new nation does not remember him. And, and here's where a vicious cycle begins. You have, uh, as it says uh, at the end of the book, in summary, the very last verse says, uh, uh, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, that might sound great to you, but it wasn't. This was moral anarchy. It was horrible. And uh, you saw some of the just, just terrible atrocities that went on during this day. And here's what would happen. There was a, a terrible cycle. Israel would forget God. And as a result, God did exactly what he told him he would do. He withdrew his hand of protection. You see, this usually is what judgment looks like with God. It's usually like this. He's hovering over them. And then when they continually uh, go after idols and say, we don't want to worship you anymore, he steps back and removes that hovering protection. And that's what happens. So the Philistines would be there, the Amalekites would be there, the Midianites would be there, and he would allow them to attack. And the, the Israelites would realize what they've done. They go, oh, God, we forgot you. Please, God, forgive us, forgive us. Raise somebody up. And he would. And he would do something amazing, and they would kick out the Midianites, the Philistines, or whoever it was, and then they go, whew, that's good. I'm glad that's over. Where were we? Oh, yeah. And they would fall right back into the same thing. It's really as soon as the judge died, as soon as the hero died, or whoever the Lord had raised up, they would fall back into it. The book of Judges then is that cycle. That's the book. It's we forgot God, we're under punishment, we cry out for forgiveness, he helps us again, and then once we don't need his help anymore, we go back to where we were, and then it starts all over again. So in that way, it's a, it's a difficult book to read. But there are some beautiful things that took place in here. And uh, I, I want to I mention one. There, there's, there's lots of sermons you could pull out of this. Uh, a few of the, the main stars of this book. Samson is the one everybody thinks of. Samson is the one that they always teach about in Sunday school. I was talking with my wife and how weird that is because it's kind of a dark story. Um, you know, God needed muscles, so he grabs this guy and by the way, I don't think he was this big ripped dude. I think he probably was just this regular guy who never went to the gym at all because they keep asking him, what's the secret of your great strength? And he didn't go, huh, 
have you seen me? Hello. He didn't say, you know, I work out. That's, that wasn't the secret of his great strength. Nobody could figure it out. This guy? This guy? You know, so I think he probably was just a regular guy. Anyway, neither here nor there. We're not talking about Samson today. But the real amazing thing about that story, we're not talking about him. I have to make this one point. How do I do this to myself? The real amazing thing about Samson is that God delivered him despite the fact that he was not a smart man. This guy is so... Yeah, I can see all like the gym rats and, and, and the, you know, the bodybuilders probably hate him because you're like, man, it's, you're, you're responsible for this negative stereotype that we don't think. Um, anyway, you read the story of Delilah and you'll know what I'm talking about. It's, it's utterly pathetic. It's an unfair stereotype and you can blame Samson. All right. So God delivers them through one unintelligent guy. He delivers a whole nation, and they turn back. And another story is he delivers them. Now, this was even more controversial. He delivered them through a woman. <gasps> Gasp, right? Through two women, actually. Deborah and Jael. Everybody said that after her name, after her incident. Is that Jael? I would like, sort of became her thing. It's like her last name, kind of. The people of Israel, Judges chapter 6, we're going to tell a story of this other guy. Judges chapter 6. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made, themselves, uh, uh, made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For Whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. I'm going to read from back here because that's really bright now. Um, they would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they laid waste the land that they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. So here we are. There we are in the cycle. They forgot God, now they're oppressed, now they're crying out for help. So the Lord says, he sends them a prophet, and he says, this is why this is happening. And then the Lord goes and finds them help. But the, the Lord is big on irony in this book. And he goes and he finds them a hero. He finds them this guy. His name is Gideon, and we like Gideon, I like Gideon, because of his obvious faults. I, here's where we find Gideon. Gideon is scared. He's, he's, he, he's threshing wheat, but he, he can't even, he's not even doing that in the fields because he's afraid of the Midianites or the Amalekites. So he goes in the wine press. He's probably crouching down and <laughs> threshing wheat in there. Now, it's that place that an angel comes to him, and I... I I would, I would suspect the angel had a script, and when he got down there, he's standing behind him, and he looks at the script, <laughs> he's, checking his, he's checking his orders, he's checking his coordinates, is this the, seriously, do I have to say... Hail, valiant warrior. 
Hail, valiant warrior. Gideon sits up. He's looking around for the valiant warrior. Where? Valiant warrior? It's you. It's you, you, it's you, Gideon, talking to you. Yeah, hey. Um, so, um, this is going to come as big a surprise to you as it is to me, probably. But the Lord wants to deliver Israel through you. Gideon is over here. Well, who am I? Because I'm like the wussiest of my family. My family is one of the wussiest of the tribe. So who am I to deliver Israel? And it's the same question that Moses asked God at the burning bush, if you remember. Same question. And he pretty much gets the same answer, too. The angel's like, Right? Yeah, who are you? But here's the thing. God is with you. So that's kind of, it doesn't even really matter. In fact, it might just be better if you got out of the way completely. Like, you don't have to do much. Who am I? It doesn't even matter. God is with you. You're not able to do this. And so he gives gives Gideon this order. You're, You're going to go and deliver your people. But... But not yet. He's going to tell him to do one other thing first. But here's what, this, this must have been one of the most awkward scenes in the Old Testament. Because here's Gideon with this angel, and he's like, okay, if you're really an angel, don't, don't go anywhere. <laughs> Stay there, okay? Don't go anywhere. Like, he makes this big deal, like, please don't leave. And then he goes and makes lunch. <laughs> so he makes, he does. He just reads the, read the chapter. He goes makes lunch, and he brings it to the angel. And he sets it down. And uh, maybe this is precisely what he was intending. Maybe he had worked this out. This just didn't get in the, in the book. But the angel looks down at the lunch. And he takes his staff. And he goes, well, put, put that on the rock. And he puts it on the rock. And he reaches out with a staff. <laughs> fire. And it consumes the lunch right there. I can't help but wonder if they were like, is, is that what you were hoping I would do? Or what, what was going on there? <laughs> I don't know, but it's obviously supernatural, and it's awesome, as if the, his, you know, glowing whatever didn't, wasn't enough. It was awesome, and then Gideon falls on his face and worships. Okay, I believe you now. He says, good, but before you deliver Israel, I want you to go and do something. I want you to tear down your father's idol to Baal. Now, this is very interesting. It tells us a couple of things. God didn't just go to a weak man. God went to a man from a weak family that was very much entrenched in idolatry themselves. In fact, you'd have to believe that this was a part of Gideon's life just as much as it was a part of everyone else in his family. This was the reason that Israel was entrapped in this situation. And God goes to somebody in a family just like that, and he says, start with your own family, Gideon. This would have been a really scary thing. But he gets a few guys and they go and they pull down the altar to Baal and they take their Asherah pole to this fertility goddess and they destroy it. People wake up in the morning and they say, what did you do? Who did this? It was, this was Gideon. This was Gideon. 
Apparently their home must have been some sort of a hub for this. So it's probably uh, maybe like a, a shrine for the whole village that they would come. And so people are ticked off. And people are calling, literally calling for his head. And they're saying, he's got to be executed. And his father says, no, ah, uh, uh, he says, if Baal wants to do it himself, he can do whatever and just let him go. But something happens that day is Gideon becomes a little bit of a celebrity in the village. He's the guy who tore down his father's altar to Baal. And so word starts spreading. And they say, okay, apparently something's going on with this guy Gideon. Now, when you see him, just trust me. <laughs> and they start coming down. He starts calling men to himself and saying, we are going to take on Midian now. 22,000 men join him. 22,000. Now, this sounds like a great start, doesn't it? But we're still dealing with Gideon as their leader. And Gideon has still got one or two things to work out. This man is afraid. He's just afraid a lot. I don't know if you guys, any of you can relate to that. I think he's one of the reasons why he turns out being such a likable character. It's like Peter in the New Testament and all the mistakes he makes. We're like, I like that guy. I can see myself in him. I think that's what the deal is with Gideon. You see, Gideon gets all of these people with him. And, uh, and he, it's still, he's not there yet, you know. He's, he's, not, he's not really ready yet. So he gets a nickname. They start calling him Jerubal. Or Jeroboam. But what it means is enemy of Baal. Or Jeroboam, probably. Now that's a pretty cool nickname. He starts becoming Jeroboam. Maybe he wears a name tag and it's like, okay, I know I don't look like much, but this is my name now. And it, it, word starts spreading. Okay, this guy, he's got big plans. But... He's not sure. So he goes to the Lord and says, can you prove to me that you're really going to do this? Like, because I'm not sure. I'm a little scared. I know we've got lots of guys, but can you just prove to me this could happen? And so he gets a fleece. Now, how many guys have heard this term in modern days of like, I need to throw out a fleece? Yeah? Okay. This is what it's talking about. It's talking about confirmation. Um, the Lord doesn't chastise Gideon for this, but neither is it a sign of great faith. Lord, can you really do? Okay, 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 listen, listen. I got a plan. I'm gonna throw out a fleece in the wine press, and then in the morning, if it's all dry in there, but except for the fleece is wet, then I'll take that as a sign that you're really with me. And that's what he does goes to bed the next morning, totally dry, but there's enough water in the fleece to like fill up a bucket. So this thing was like soaked. That seems like pretty good confirmation at this point. I mean, you saw lunch, just you saw an angel, you saw all these things happen, and that's pretty cool. But okay, God, just one more thing, because I'm still not sure. He's, that's not enough. He's still scared. Okay, okay, well, what? This time, this time I'm going to do a little switcheroo, okay? This time I'm going to put the fleece out again. 
but I want everything else to be wet and the fleece to be dry. And it's already pretty wet, so you might have to like put that through the cycle or something. I don't know. <laughs> he puts it out. He wakes up the next morning, and it's just as he said. The fleece is dry. Everything else is soaked. <sighs> okay, okay, okay. I believe you're with me now. I believe you're with me now. Let's go and do this. Okay, okay. So we got 22,000 men. And God says, yes, 22,000 men. 22,000 men. And the Lord tells him this. Yeah, we got one problem. Your army's too big. Uh, come again. Your army's too big. Tell him this, Gideon. Tell the army this, that if you're afraid to go fight, then just go home. You can go home. That's fine. And Gideon goes, but what about... No, no, not you, Gideon. Not you. We've been through this. Not you. So he tells them, if you're scared, you can go home and no one will make fun of you much. And so 12,000 of them go home right then and there. Now he's down to 10,000. Now, 22,000 was something to start with. We don't know quite how many Midianites and Amalekites there were, but they were probably somewhere upwards of 30 to 50,000. There's a lot of guys. So 22,000 was a force, but now they're down to 10,000. Gideon's like, what? What do we just do that for? And God says, yeah, I know, right? But that's still too many guys. Our army's still too big. <laughs> you imagine? <laughs> Poor Gideon. I actually feel bad for him at this point. So... Um, he takes them to water. And he says, okay, everybody get a drink. Why are we doing this? And God's like, hold up, wait, wait for it, wait for it. And, and they all get down just like most of those guys are doing. They're putting their face in, drinking like that. But, but some guys get down on one knee and, and, and are just, and they're looking around. And God says, okay, here we go. Everyone who, who, who did that, who just got down on one knee and drank that way and, you know, was ready, those guys can stay. The rest of them need to go. But wait, whoa, 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 whoa. That's like 30 to 1. And he's, that sounds about right. So he makes the announcement. Okay, listen, I know you guys want to fight and everything, but most of you guys got to go home. Because why? Well, because you, um, you, like, put your face in the water. And it's not sanitary or something. I don't really know why, except you got to go. What? Yeah, sorry. Um, we'll be okay, though. Maybe be on guard or something. Um, oh, but by the way, we need your sandwiches. <laughs> Seriously. They collect two things, sandwiches and musical instruments. Trumpets, that way. There's a guy with his ukulele. Are you sure? Well, we just really need trumpets. Okay, ukulele guy comes over. Okay. You, you were on your knee? You promise? Look at me. Okay, whatever. You can keep uke. They now have 300 guys. And God says, that's about right. Poor Gideon. Yeah. So they, uh, they're ready. They're camped near the Midianite army. And this is what the angel of the Lord says to them. The same night, the Lord said, 
Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you're afraid to go down, if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterwards, your hands will be strengthened to go down to the camp. So if that's what you want to do, you can do that. Then he went down with Purah, his servant. <laughs> Sorry, that kills me. That's so funny. He gives Gideon another option. If you're still scared, just get Purah. Okay, Purah, let's go. And he goes. They go, and they sneak into the Midianites' camp. And they're just kind of waiting there. And then they hear a discussion. Like the middle of the night. It's like, oh my God, God, whoa, dude, hey, psst, hey, villain buddy, psst. <laughs> yes, bad guy number one. <laughs> villain buddy, oh man, I had the weirdest dream, I swear. I just had it and I just woke up and now I'm really freaked out. What do you mean, bad guy? Well, I, I was like, we were in camp, like all of us, just like we are here in our bad guy army. And we were all encamped and everything was great. But suddenly this massive loaf of bread tumbled down and like destroyed, like squashed us. Like, 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 like something squashing an army of bad guys. And they, they, here's, what, here's what villain number one says. He says, oh. Surely this must mean it's Gideon, the son of Joash. He's coming after us and he's going to take us down. How? It must have been vivid. He must have been like, I don't know. But Gideon is sitting, he goes, He's feeling very good about himself. And they sneak out. And him and Pura are looking at each other. They're like, that was weird. Yeah. Yeah. Are you scared, Gideon? No. No. I'm not scared anymore. And he gets his guys together. They pull out their trumpets. They got a whole bunch of them now. And they... <laughs> They're not like arming themselves, you know, you don't get like daggers strapped to your thigh, You're nothing like this. It's like, get a torch, put it under a clay pot, and get your trumpet. Let's go. So they do. It's, you thought that, you thought that the, the instructions for Jericho were weird. This one, to me, outdoes Jericho. They, they sneak around the army at night, and they set up the first flash mob in recorded history. <laughs> you, you tell me that it wasn't a flash mob. This is what this is. They're not an army. They're not an army. And I really wish someone had had an iPhone at that point because this would have been awesome. All right. They divide their hundred men into three groups and they position themselves around the army. And Gideon's like, follow my lead, guys. Follow my lead. Right? So they sneak around. There's Gideon. Ready, you see me? Psst. Okay. 
on three. One, two, three. They break the pots, and now suddenly there's a torch, a bright torch. You pick up the, now there's lights all around the army. Lights, and then all of them at the same time start playing the same song. And it's crazy. And then, and then, this, and it's amazing. And the guys are so freaked out now. They're waking up. The Midianites are waking up. And they're looking around. And they, they see all they, 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 they hear. And they're scared because they've all had these weird dreams about bread crushing them and all this. And they look around. And that's what they see. They're like, it's fire. It's people in fire. And they're scary. And, and they turn to each other. And they're going, ah, I can't say anything. You must be an enemy. And they take each other down. And Gideon's army doesn't have to do a thing. Like, well, that was the easiest battle I've ever won. And they start running. The, 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 the ones who don't die from one another's swords start running. And then Gideon can call all those guys who he had to dismiss earlier. He's like, oh, we... Can somebody send a team of troops down there? We're really tired from fighting all night. So, so, all those guys who put their faces in the water, they're going up the road there. They're going down 99 west. I think they're taking a left there and going toward the hills. So if somebody can... And the battle's over. The battle is over. God went ahead of them. And he won it. In such strategic fashion that nobody can look at that battle and think that Israel saved themselves. Nobody. And you guys, that was precisely the point the entire time. Can they win the battle under Gideon? No. Can they win the battle with an army of 300? <laughs> no. Can they win the battle <laughs> with trumpets and a ukulele? No. But they won. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. His heart is inclined toward mercy, even when they don't deserve it. But isn't that what mercy is? Giving grace when a person doesn't deserve it? Here's what he's doing with these people. They do not deserve to be rescued yet again but he takes pity on them. He has compassion on them. And he delivers them in a supernatural way that they're never going to forget. Gideon was afraid. He was scared. And you know what? Guys, in the beginning, he was right to be scared. Sometimes our fear is actually justified. Do you know that? Sometimes our fear is totally justified because if you're trusting in yourself, you ought to be afraid. You are not capable of facing the things the enemy's going to throw at you. You're not. You're not. Not by yourself. But the point is, he's with you. Do you see? Who, who am I to go up against the daily temptations that come at me? Who am I to try to do the things, all the things the Lord's called me to do, to lead my family? Who am I to help, to help lead this church? Who am I to do things that he's called me to do? I can't do them. That scares me, and it scares me a whole lot when I forget that he's not here. You see? But the point is, no, 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 Jason, you moron. He's with you. Oh, that's right. 
That's right. You see, that's the key to all of this. You try to work in your own strength, you're going to be afraid. You will. That's the natural outcome. And it's actually kind of justified. But if you remember who he is and you keep that order in the way it should be, then it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're with me? You sure? Okay, good. Yeah, come on, Midian. Give me your best shot because I got a ukulele. (laughs) Do you see the difference? You guys, we can face all of these things if we put our strength in him. If we empty ourselves and we say, Lord, in my weakness, I'm strong because you're here. You're here. I got nothing on my own, but you're here. So together, we can flash mob it all day long and somehow end up victorious. And that's what he offers us. Not strength in ourselves. Don't try to be strong in yourself. Don't, don't. It's embarrassing when you do that. It's embarrassing when I do that. You're not strong enough. You're not. And it's okay. Because he is. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Prayer servant team is going to be in the back if you need prayer for anything whatsoever. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us to remember where our strength comes from. And Lord, forgive us for the times we've tried to live this life on our own. In you we find strength, in you we find victory, in you only. So we praise you, we praise you, and we thank you for your enduring patience and grace toward us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. 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 Have a wonderful week, you guys.